Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. As we live in this world, I want to ask you a question. Do we have any obligation to those in the world around us? Or is our obligation only to ourselves or maybe to our family, maybe to our church family? Since we are called to serve Jesus, what is our obligation as temporary citizens of this world? Ask yourself that. What, what is your obligation, your individual obligation? Not mine as an elder, leader in the church, not even yours as a father, or mine as a father or grandfather, but all of us individually. What is your obligation? You see, I think we all have people in our lives, sometimes within our family, maybe it's our extended family, maybe it's co-workers, neighbors, friends, that we would love to come to Jesus, that we would love to see them come to Jesus and have a saving relationship with Him. And I know we all lament the direction that the world is going, no more so this week than, than, uh, than we've seen in a very, very long time. You see, we live in a world that can very easily mold us into its image. We live in a world that it's very easy for us as clay to get pressed into the mold of whatever the world wants us to look like. It wants us to look like something different than what we are as Christians, for sure. The question is, what do you look like as a follower of Jesus? What do you look like? And you see, if we allow ourselves to be pressed into the mold of the world, then what comes out may or may not look like what Jesus wants. When we pray, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Here's what I want, Lord. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What he's saying is, I want this, but I know that your will reigns supreme in my life. That's what Jesus was saying. Your will reigns supreme in my life. I am submitting myself willingly to your will. I want to be pressed into the mold of you, Lord, not what my flesh. And remember, he was 100% man, human, 100% and 100% God. Sometimes I remember, don't remember, I forget. I, I sometimes let, you know, oh, well, he was, he was perfect because he was God. He's perfect because he was, you know, had this divinity in him. And, you know, I don't have divinity in me, so, you know, the expectation gets lowered. No. A, I do have divinity in, in me because I have the Holy Spirit living within me. And B, he was 100% man, yet overcame the, the fleshly desires. You see, if we allow ourselves to be pushed into the mold of the world, we can easily lose our influence around us for the cause of Christ. So the question becomes, how do we have an effect on those around us, a positive effect for those around us, for Jesus? How, how do we do that? How do we really make a difference in the life of our spouse, in the life of our children, 
in the life of our grandchildren, in the life of our neighbors and our friends and our extended family and our enemies. You see, we may need to do something that can be very uncomfortable for us, and that's change. Now that's, do you know the air went out of the room when I said that, that phrase? It's been on the board here for however many minutes I've been talking. The air went out of the room. No one was breathing for just a minute. Because when I said those words, you, 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 you thought, wow, he, he might be talking to me. Yeah, I am. Talking to every single one of you and me. And those of you that are, that are joining us via Zoom, thank you for, for joining us today. And those of you that are hearing this on the, on the internet and will be hearing this recording later on, yes, I'm talking to you because the scripture is talking to you. You see, change can be intimidating. It can be challenging because of the very nature of what the word means. The word change means to become or make different. I'm this way. I need to be that way. Don't get me wrong, it's not in every aspect of your life. You know, you have short hair, oh, you need long hair. You have long hair, oh, you need short hair. You're bald, oh, you need to grow hair. Oh, you're, you have long hair, you need to be bald. No. You know, all the different changes that we can talk, no, that's not what the, what the Scripture is talking about. And as we read in 1 Peter 2 this morning, we're, we're, and we're going to get there in just a second. You see, if we walk and talk and act and live like everybody else in the world, What's so different about that? What's the big deal about that? Why would that attract people to Jesus? You look like everybody else. You see, if we're just like the rest, how will that make a difference in all of our important relationships, including our marriages, perhaps even especially our marriages? This morning, we're going to look at three areas of change that each of us needs to focus on. It's pointed out by uh, our brother Peter, who was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was an elder in the church in Jerusalem. And these changes need to be considered because they will have an effect on us individually, our spouses, and others around us for eternity. So let's go to 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil, speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. So the first thing as we delve into this verse we see that, that Peter loves and cares for these readers. In, in chapter 1, we obviously didn't read that this morning, but he's talking to those of the dispersion, or the fancy term diaspora. In other words, those that had been run out of their homes because of the, the political and religious turmoil that was going on and the persecution that was going on uh, against Christians. They had been run away from their homes. Does that sound like anybody that we know right now? Maybe some people in Ukraine that are running desperately to Romania and, and north to Poland to get away from the fighting? 
those are people of the dispersion from that area. And so what Peter is saying here is, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, this word beg, uh, uh, parakaleo para, uh, in the Greek, it paints a picture of passionate pleading. What's being shared through this text is important, but the, but the big appeal, I think, is, is, is two things. First, I want us to think about this idea of sojourners and pilgrims. A sojourner is someone who is a, a foreigner who is temporarily residing uh, in a foreign house or a foreign land. This world is not our home. We just sang that song. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This is not my home. And yet we have so much attached to this. You know, we have patriotic songs and, and we, you know, this land is my land, this land is your land. We have all of these things that remind us of home. We wear t-shirts that have the outline of whatever state we're from and it says home on it. And I've, I've traveled around a, a few times in the last month or so going through, through airports and I see this funky shape and it says home on it. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Is that Illinois? What's, what, what is that? I don't, it's not Texas. I recognize that one. Oklahoma, I recognize. Arkansas, I recognize. But I'm like, I got nothing. I have no idea what that is. What does Rhode Island look like? It's like a period. I don't know. What, what, whatever that is. And they, because people are wanting to identify with the here. This is, I can, I can feel this. And, and I have my feet on solid ground. Well, Peter is pointing out that no, he's not just writing to those of the diaspora, the dispersion. He's writing to us that if we truly understand the relationship that Christians have to this world, we'll know that this is not our home. We are sojourners and pilgrims. So this, this second word, pilgrims, it's, it's translated exiles in, in other translations. So this implies that we're uh, visitors in a foreign country, but we're going to be traveling on to our homeland. We're, we're, we're going somewhere else. So think about this. Since where we currently reside is temporary, why would we get engrossed in where we are now? It's, it's kind of like Lauren Dale were in between houses uh, for a few months there, um, trying to find a house here in Norman. It was, they would make a bid and it would get rejected or they would go to, we, we were all together, all the family was going to go see a house, literally on the way, five minutes away, get a call from the realtor said, well, it's off the market. We're like, what? I mean, it happened that fast. And those of you that are in real estate know that it's happening more and more all the time, all over the place. But it was it was just kind of weird. But they were they were displaced for a time. They were in a temporary house in Shawnee for a while. But I noticed that they didn't paint the place. They didn't really spruce up the lawn. They didn't add a room on the back. Why? They it ain't theirs, and they ain't gonna be there very long. I'm personally thankful for that. It was a crackerjack. Served the purpose, but I'm glad they're here, 
right? So why do we get so attached to this? It's because this is all we can see. Can't see heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That is hard to live out day by day sometimes. If we're going to be different than the world around us, it starts with this. It's changing your mind. Dare I say changing your mindset. We need to have a different mindset than the world around us. Notice this passage in Romans. You, you, you can all probably quote this, but Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't set up residency in this world, but be transformed by how? By the renewing of your mind. That, or so that, you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, once we belong to Jesus, the way to keep from becoming conformed to this world is to allow our minds to be transformed or changed into what? The mindset of Jesus. Not the mindset of Mark. Not the mindset of your parents. Not the mindset of any person except the person of Jesus. Because that's the perfection. That's the standard. That's the measuring stick. 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 10, Paul explains it this way. He says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity for what purpose? To the obedience of Christ. Not so that we can be all we can be. That was a slogan that they were using to uh, get people to uh, enlist in the army several years ago. Be all that you can be. It actually had a jingle around it. Be all that you can be in the army. Um, he's saying be all that you can be through the, the obedience of Christ. How? Bringing every thought into captivity. Making changes. But that takes prayer. That takes perseverance. That takes practice. That, that takes time. That takes incremental change. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about, brothers and sisters, in this coming weekend, this, this marriage, um, not retreat, but marriage workshop, I'll call it. Now, there, that's not the only place in time that those things need to be discussed, but I want you to consider as you go into that study, and as you go into your study of God's Word um, other days, is what is it that I need to do, Lord, to change my life to look like yours? What do I need to do? You know, Austin Seibert's here this morning. Um, I don't know why he's here exactly, but he's probably teaching somebody how to kick football. Punter kick. Probably has something to do with that. I don't know. But that's what he does. And it, it's kind of like going somebody going to, to Austin saying, you know, I'm a pretty good kicker. You know, I can, I can kick the ball 40, 40, 50 yards or whatever. And, and Austin's like, that's nice. You need to probably kick it 60 or 65 or 70. And here's the things you need to do to make that happen. No, I'm good. I think I'll just keep doing it the way I've been. I'll keep lining up the way I've been lining. I'll turn my hips the way I've been doing. I'm good. That's kind of dumb. That's kind of dumb. I, no, Lord, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm trying the best I can. 
you know, I'm, I'm only 25 years old. Or, Lord, I'm 55 years old. It's, it, it's too late for me to change. Lord, I was raised this way. Lord, I had these problems in my life, in my raising. Lord, I, was, I had these challenges growing up. Lord, I'm 75 years old. It's way too late for me to change. We can go on and on. I don't need to change. What are we saying when we, when we do that? A, I'm perfect already. B, I don't look like you, Lord, but that's okay. And we're also saying that the, the perfection of Jesus Christ is not something that we attain to. It's something that we're okay without. And, and that's not what Scripture teaches. Now, I'm not here to beat up on anybody. I'm not here to point fingers at any individual, but I am talking to everyone. To say, just as, as Mike said at, at the table, use the opportunity of the Lord's Supper to examine yourself. 1 Corinthians 11. Examine your, what does that mean? Examine yourself, your attitude. Examine your, um, your position. Examine your mindset. And if there are changes to make, the Lord died for you in part to make those changes in your life. You see, in our opening passage there in Peter, Peter urges us, us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's why I had you hold your finger there in 1 Peter chapter 2. Abstain. What does that word mean? It means we can't permit our minds to have any hospitality to those desires that want a place to stay. Those desires that say, let me come in. And you have to say, no, there's no room for you. There, we, we, I cannot let you set up shop here. We're called to constantly hold off. The Greek is actually hold off or keep a distance from those desires instead of seeing how close we can get to them. Look at this passage in Galatians 5. I'll spend a little bit of time here. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, a couple of questions. Does it or does it not say, will, will not? Is that, a, is that a positive or a negative? Is, is it an affirmative or, or, or not? Some people want to, want to look at the list and say, even if I conduct myself in such a way that my life includes some of these things, it's okay. It's okay. I'm trying the best I can. Nobody's perfect, which is true, which is why we're made perfect through Jesus Christ and his blood. This is very true. But if we continue to do these things over and over, the writer of Hebrews says, basically, you've taken the gift of Jesus Christ and considered it to be trash. You've, you've thrown it away. There's not going to be another Messiah that comes. The one we got is the one we got. His name is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. 
So it's, it's doubtful that any of these things are in your life, right? Well, let me point out just a couple. Because especially in the King James, this is New King James, there's some words in here that we don't often use. Okay, So we're not going to go through every single one of these sins, but let me just talk about this one. Contention. Greek is, is eris, E-R-I-S. It's also called variance in the King James. What in the world is contention or variance? Right? We know mathematically there's variance is, is, a, uh, is a mathematical term. But what this means is arguments and quarreling. I have to have my way. I care about me, my party, my position, my personal issues more than I care about Christ. When we want to win an argument by crushing the opponent, that's Eris. Period. When we... Air just got sucked out again, I hear it. And that's a good thing. When our position is so important that it, it elevates me over you, that's Eris. Whatever your position is, it could be political, it could be about a passage of Scripture, it could be about something in literature, it could be about anything. When we're not elevating the cause of Christ, which means I am elevating you, I am considering you, and this is especially important in our marriages. When I've got to win an argument and I'm not lifting up my wife, I am sinning. I am doing contention. I, I am iris. I am, in, I am variance. If I can use that as a verb. I'm committing a sin. When we want to win an argument so badly that we do whatever we need to say and we fight and quarrel, that's in part what Paul is dealing with here. Let's look at one other. That's outburst of wrath. The Greek word there is thumos, T-H-U-M-O-S, thumos. It means explosive, violent temper. It, that explodes and then actually goes back down. Think old faithful. It blows, and then it goes back down. Kind of boring for a while. Then it blows, and then it goes back down. That's outburst of wrath. Now, the important thing is, it, Paul puts those in the exact same paragraph, sentence actually, as adultery and fornication and all kinds of sexual stuff that's going on here. Sorcery, we can talk about drug abuse, um, is, is tied up in, in, the, in the word sorcery there. Um, uh, pharmacaleo. Um, we can talk about all of these, uh, and, and probably need to have a, a, a study here on uh, Galatians 5, 19 and 21. I'm just pointing out these two because you know what? I am absolutely guilty of that sin. I have damage to my hands. I have nerve damage in my hands from that. I've hit people. 
I've hit things. I've destroyed things. I'm guilty of that. Now, not as much in a long time. I almost don't have my wife of nearly 35 years because of my outburst of wrath. It was verbal. I had an outburst of wrath. I didn't get my way one time. It wasn't with her. It was actually with somebody else. Somebody didn't do something that I wanted them to do. It didn't happen the way that my 18-year-old brain said, this needs to happen. And my, and my girlfriend at the time said, you know what? I think I'm done with that. I think I'm I think we're done. And I was like, uh, I don't think so. I need to change, and I need to change right now. That was my motivation. And thank God, 30, now 36 plus years later, we're still together. But I am absolutely guilty of that. Why am I bringing this up? I was willing to change fast. What are you needing to change? Maybe it's not to keep your girlfriend. Maybe it's for some other reason. Maybe it's some other sin up here. What is it that you need to change? You see, when you put together abstaining that we read in 1 Peter 2 with these fleshly lusts in part that we see in this passage in Galatians 5, what you get is this. We're told not to permit the mind to show any hospitality to those things. We're not to allow things that motivate sinful behavior to keep residence uh, in our mind. And sometimes these thoughts come through our mind at the prompting of Satan. James talks about that, that, that the temptations are there. The question is, are you going to allow it to take up residency? As, as James says, are you going to allow it to give, uh, to, to come to fruition, to give full, uh, to come to term, to, to give birth? You see, we often can't control the things that come through our mind, but we can control whether they stay there or not. Back over in 1 Peter 2. Got your finger there. Look at 1 Peter 2. I want you to look at that passage that talks about war. That verse, or rather that word that's translated war, is not hand-to-hand -hand combat. It is not knife fighting and, 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 and punching. It's strategic in nature. It's not tactical on the ground fighting. It's strategic. What does that mean? It's Think about the generals are cooking up a plan to come after you with all of their armaments. That's very different than you and me having to fight one-on-one. -on -one. All of the forces of darkness are aligned against you. All of the generals and the colonels and the majors and on down are aligned against you. That's the war we're talking about. It's one thing to have, you know, a fight. Oh, I won that. I won that battle. Oh, well, what about all of that army, that evil army that's behind? It's a planned military expedition against a planned military objective. That's what war is. You see, the passions that are stirred by Satan are part of a carefully planned effort to mess up what God is trying to do in your life and with his children. Let's look at the second half here of 1 Peter 2. 
So having conduct honorable among the Gentiles, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, we're told to keep our conduct among the lost honorable. Remember, Peter was talking to to Christians of the dispersion who were in a foreign land. They were surrounded with people who were not Christians. And he was telling them how to live in that environment. Okay? So, but the problem comes when we try to change our conduct without changing our mind first. That's why Paul said what he did in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're talking about changing our mindset. That then leads us to change our conduct. We've got to make a decision. We've got to make mental changes before our conduct can truly change for the long term. If we just try to change our conduct in in the short term, we're going to do it one day and not the next. We're going to do it one minute and not the next. It is a mindset change. You see, this is what the Pharisees did. And Jesus compared them to, to whitewashed tombs that looked good on the outside, but inside were full of dead men's bones. That's in Matthew chapter 23. They they were nicely painted on the outside, but on the inside, they were not changed. Moreover, they were full of dead men's bones, which stinks, is of no use. And this word honorable, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, means not just good, it actually means lovely, fine, attractive, handsome, winsome. So we're being asked to make our way of life so lovely, so fair, so beautiful that it positively attracts admiration from those around us. Some of us go through life thinking that we can be grumpy and we can be grouchy and we can be short and we can be glib and we can be sarcastic and we can be a smart aleck and that's going to attract the world to us. Right? We think that that we can live in in such a way as as to be off-putting to people and they're supposed to love us anyway. Because, after all, that's just the way I am. You know, that's the way I was raised. Or that's my DNA. And I have the cool opportunity, personally, to claim DNA when I want to and to claim raising when I want to. I've got the best of all worlds. I can claim family and then not. Especially when I see their medical records, I'm like, no, don't want that. But that's not what Peter is telling us. This honorable, see, makes it so that the best argument for Christianity is Christians. But unfortunately, the best argument against Christianity sometimes is Christians. Or people that name the name of Christ but are on the inside full of dead men's bones. You see, we're all advertisements for Jesus in one way or another, for or against. Do people want to buy the Jesus that we are selling? You see, we're to hold up and exemplify an attractive lifestyle. And I'm not talking about living our lives in such a way that we're fake. 
that we're putting on a, a, a false front. That's exactly what Paul, rather what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 23. On the outside, you're whitewashed, and on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones, that we look good only on the outside. Now, here in 1 Peter 2, we're given three reasons why, for us to maintain this kind of excellent behavior that, that we see. First is, we are sojourners and pilgrims. We are strangers and aliens. Secondly, secondly, I've got underlined up here, that, that fleshly desires are not good for us because that is that creates the war against the soul or it gives, it gives place to the war. And thirdly, the influence for good that we can have on the world around us. You see, if we act and react as those in the world do, we won't really reflect the God we serve. Prolific author John Maxwell, he said that life is 90%, or rather 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. That's not biblical per se, but I think it's a true statement. It's 10% what happens and 90% how we react to it. We're told to keep our conduct honorable so that when we get accused of evil doing, our actions will show the falsehoods not to be true. That's a high bar. Live in such a way, Peter says, that when people accuse you of doing evil, others will go, that can't possibly be true. I know that woman. I know that man. That, that, that's, that's absolutely false. That's pretty cool. You know that was the case with Jesus? Show me someone who really, really believed that he was guilty of all the things he was accused of. I don't know that you can find it in Scripture. Pilate knew he wasn't guilty. Pilate's wife knew he wasn't guilty. Judas knew he wasn't guilty. They all knew it. You see, and, and Brother Chris talked about this on, on Wednesday night in our study in Isaiah. The early church faced a lot of rumors concerning their behavior. They were accused of a lot of things because they met at night, because they were trying to stay you know, away from the, the religious persecution that was going on and, and the, the, the governmental persecution that was going on. Um, they were accused of being cannibals. Why? Because they, they talked about eating of the, the, the blood, the body and the blood of the Lord. They didn't understand there was a spiritual application to that. There wasn't anything physical. Uh, in, in terms of uh, flesh and, and, and bones. Um, and there's a whole host of other things. In, in Rome, Nero, the, the uh, Roman emperor, he used this to his advantage when he made Christian scapegoats for all kinds of things, including one of the, a, a big fire that destroyed most of Rome. He made the Christians the scapegoats on that. You know, I remember in 1980, April of 1980, um, there was a, uh, a big exodus out of Cuba. You may remember that. It was 125,000, 135,000 people that, that uh, uh, basically the Cuban government said, if you can get boats, you can get out of here, out of a certain port. And so there was a big flotilla of, of pleasure craft and whatnot that went down to Cuba, picked up a bunch of people and brought them here. Well, a bunch of them wound up at Fort Chaffee in Fort Smith. I remember going into stores and seeing 
baseball bats that were marketed as Cuban sticks. There was a lot of fear that was going on, a whole lot of fear. There, there were probably six or 7,000 of them that wound up being at Fort Chaffee during that period of time in about a year and a half, a little more than a year and a half. A whole lot of angst about that. And there were all kinds of rumors going on and, and all, all kinds of stuff. People were afraid of them. They weren't treated well. Um, some people went to jail over it, actually, because of their mistreatment of them. It's because they didn't know or didn't understand them. Well, Peter says the world will not understand Christians. They will think things about us that are not true. And the best way to change their minds is to maintain excellent behavior. That's what Peter says. And that may require change on our part. So let's conclude here by understanding that if we change our minds and our conduct, that means we are changing the world. We can change the world. I dare say that we are the only people that can. Let me go further and say Jesus is the only one who can. We pray all the time for our government, and we should because that's actually commanded in Scripture. We should pray for the kings and pray for the governors and pray for the presidents. And that includes praying for that man, Vladimir Putin, and that includes praying for all of the others with whom we agree, and we don't. But no government in the world is going to bring about the peace that's talked about in Scripture. No government, no Congress, no leader in the world is going to bring about the things that the Scripture talks about when it talks about peace and joy and love and understanding. That comes from a change of our minds, a change of our conduct, so we can change the world. You see, when the world sees that we're not hypocrites, they'll quit accusing us of being hypocrites. When they see that a church caring for them, they won't, Mike, say that we're just about money. Real faith exhibited in the world will win hearts and minds. People want to believe. They just need to see it in us first. Our actions will outweigh false views. That's the promise that Peter made in 1 Peter chapter 2. You see, instead of listening to rumors, those without Jesus will see your conduct, and then they'll see your true heart. So, so here's the progression that we see in 1 Peter 2. Lost people were slandering Christians as evildoers. The good deeds of the Christians would prove those accusations to be untrue. The good lives and the hearts of the Christians would convict those people of their sins and, and, and of their slander, along with their need for Jesus. I believe that's implied. And finally, the lost will be converted and come to glorify God in the, in the day of visitation. What is that day of visitation? I don't know. Is it the end time? Perhaps. Is it a time of blessing and a time when the Gentiles would would give the gospel a favorable hearing and, and be converted? I believe that's probably closer to, to accurate. But whatever it is, 
our lives will affect the lives of others for or against Jesus. Change is not easy. I don't know what the change is that you need to make in your life. We haven't talked about all of the things. Um, we, we, you know, we saw a list of sins there in, in Galatians 5. There's lots of other lists of, of sins that we need to stay away from, but also fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temper, spade. All the, I don't know where you stand in terms of your needs to change. You do. More importantly, it will become clear to you when you look at your life through the lens of Scripture. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it says to examine ourselves. Yes, it's, it's talking about examining our heart at the time that we're, we're partaking, but it's also saying, where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Where are you? What change do you need to make? What attitudes are you harboring that are not attracting people to Jesus Christ? What behavior is causing people to go, he goes to church? Well, what do you know? What, what is it about your dealings in business or your dealings with your students or what, whomever you're, you're interfacing with, the, the, the clerk at the, at the store, causes someone to say, I want what you have. What do you have that I don't? And that's going to become more and more and more important as things get less and less certain, if they were ever certain. As they become less and less certain and we look, we had some things laid bare during the pandemic. We saw some people come apart at the seams because they couldn't handle the fact that there were mask mandates and there were vaccine mandates and there were um, you, you had to stay in your house and you couldn't fly and uh, this was shut down and that was shut down. We had people come apart at the seams. Those were all things of convenience. Ain't nobody shooting at us like they are in Kiev right now. What is your life built on? What is your firm foundation? Or do you have a firm foundation? These changes that we're going to be talking about this weekend are, are, are really talking about our relationships, our most important relationship on earth, and that is with our spouse. But it extends beyond that. What changes do you need to make in your life? If we can help you by praying with you or praying for you, we'd love to do that this morning. If, if we can help you begin the process of, of, of change, whether you are a Christian right now or not, whether you have obeyed the gospel or not, there, there, there may be changes that you need to make in your life. But if you've not named the name of Christ, if you've not entered into the watery grave of baptism, if you've not obeyed the gospel, that's where it starts. Changing your mind means I know I need to be saved. I know that where I am, I am not in a right relationship with God. Jesus Christ fixes that. Jesus Christ is the one that fixes that through obedience to the gospel. And then we have conduct to change. And it's incremental.
And as, as you'll, you'll learn here in the, in the coming weeks, there are things that we all can do incrementally to mold ourselves not into the image of the world, but into the image of Jesus Christ. If we can help you in any way, let us know as we sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.